Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Hello to everyone and welcome to this week's installment of Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. Yours truly is Nimrod Mbele. I am delighted to share this space uh, and time with you, the beloved listener of the show, as we continue to celebrate Africa Month. It is good to be back on your radio as we continue to reflect on some of the critical issues which shapes or influence your world. As you know, we are being bombarded through various media platforms with all sorts of information and misinformation, I might add. Here on this show, we pride ourselves in conducting conversations that are not only critical, but constructive. In the same vein, we do not profess to know it all. That's very important that we put it out there. However, we can, we can certainly give you, the beloved listener, some food for thought, something to ponder about, which will assist you to appreciate complex issues like better. The esteemed guests we have on this show have a mass wealth of experience over time, which makes them authentic in their posture. If you are joining us for the first time, thank you very much for tuning in. You are most welcome to Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. As I said, my name is Nimrod Timbele. I certainly hope to keep you informed and most importantly, make you part of the Beyond Governance family. If you miss any of our show, I implore you to simply go to our website, which is www.highfm.com and look for Beyond Governance slot. Download that particular podcast or any of the podcasts for that matter and share your views through SMS line, which is 34519. And your thoughts and views are most welcome via my Twitter handle, which is at Nimrod. In today's conversation, we are shining spotlight on conscious leadership through the prism of Conscious Leadership Summit that will be taking place next week, Wednesday. I'll share those details with you a bit later. The subject of, as we all know, the subject of ethics is one of the most taught subjects across the system. We talk about ethics in our homes, we talk about ethics in schools, we talk about ethics in universities, we talk about ethics in business schools, and yet the application seems to be very elusive. If we lived in the real world, there would be no need for us to be taught ethics and conscious leadership. And yet we've been taught these things, which does point to the fact that we're not living in the real world. We're not living in ideal world, but we're living in the real world. I suppose the point that I'm trying to put forward is that because we're living in the real world, these things happen, corruption, malfeasance, insider trade, you name it, they really happen. So we might have lost battles because every time we're at a big headline, the state capture, for an example, is one of the biggest issues globally. We have seen a number of corporates that were found wanting when it comes to corporate governance issues. So in my view, these are small pockets of battles that we seem to be losing. However, there's a bigger war out there. The bigger war is all about conscientizing the next generation so that they are able to change this country for what it is. Talking of this country, we know that South Africa is regarded as one of the most unequal societies in the world. We have successfully took over Brazil at some point. Why is this the case? Well, according to a stats essay, it quantificates that one, uh, the South African labor market is heavily racialized and gender biased. Secondly, it also argues that this, the bottom 60% of the household depends more on social grounds and less on income from labor market. So these are two biggest variables which accounts for 
where we are as a country in terms of inequalities, as it were. In my assessment, these issues are inexplicably linked with the glaring absence of conscious and ethical leadership from those who have been entrusted with the assets, be they private or public. In my view, the culture of impunity from those who are supposedly the custodians of public assets is simply staggering, to say the least. We might have lost the battle, but certainly not the war. In making sense of this very interesting conversation that we about to have, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by the only Rabbi David Hazan, who is a spiritual leader at Great Park Hochschule and a dean of Torah Academy. The context of a conversation with Rabbi David is that he has been asked to speak at Conscious Leadership Summit to be held on the 18th of May at Melrose Arch. Fortunately, I've been privileged to be part of this prestigious conference, as it were, and I, two cents worth, made some kind of contribution, which I think Rabbi David Hardstart is the most eloquent person who will give us his view on this particular matter. Without any wasting of time, let me welcome Rabbi. Rabbi, welcome to Beyond Governance, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to share your insight with us. Thank you, Nimrod. It's really a privilege to be on your show. I listen to you often when I'm just a listener in my car, and it's an honor to be part of your program and to talk about such an important subject as leadership and ethical leadership. Thank you very much, Rabbi. You are most welcome. I'm certainly privileged to have you on this glorious day. Before we kick off the show, I think it's only fair that we recognize our technical producers, Kabisa uh, Mube, thank you very much, as well as Vusi Masinga uh, for a well job done. As we know, without these two individuals, the show cannot be broadcasted or cannot live up to the quality and standard that we are now known for. Before we start the conversation, as I've already introduced my esteemed guest, I want to kick off the conversation with a quote by Dan Hu, and it reads, leadership without ethical clarity produces economic and moral bankruptcy. End quote. I'll repeat it again. Leadership without ethical clarity produces economic and moral bankruptcy. And in my view, this captures the very essence of what we see or do not see in our public organization as well as private organization. On that glorious note, I want to just uh, get Rabbi had just given me his sense of that particular quote. Yeah, absolutely, Nimrod. I think we appreciate um, strength of leadership. We appreciate intellectual strength, impact. There's a whole lot of array of talents and abilities in leadership, but the underlying core, the foundation, has to be an ethical base so that the leadership is going to impact on society in a meaningful way. And from our Jewish point of view, which I would be um, gleaning my insights from, it is so important that the rabbis who are quoted in the Talmud for their genius and for their brilliance and for their knowledge um, are more so uh, associated with Ethics of Our Fathers, which is a book we read at this particular time of the year, which talks about life situations and attitudes and going beyond the letter of the law and having that as the framework and frame of reference in our lives. Thank you very much for that and intro, Rabbi. Um, we're really getting warm up for a very interesting conversation. We're going to just take a quick break uh, to pay our bills. We'll come back just in a second. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. I hope you didn't go too far. We have just started our very interesting conversation with the one and only Rabbi David Hazan, who is a spiritual leader at Great Park Shul and the Dean of Torah. Um, when we started, uh, Rabbi was just giving us a sense on his take, particularly from a religious point of view and a spiritual point of view, the value of ethics. Rabbi, please proceed for on that note. 
I was saying that our rabbis are associated with knowledge and with uh, the depth of understanding throughout the Talmud, but the underlying kingpin of teaching and of being a teacher and being a leader has to be what is my attitude when it comes to ethical conduct, honesty, integrity, um, appropriateness, being committed to the people one is leading more than personal grandeur. And as your quote identified, when we lose sight of that, when we get involved with ourselves and ego and, and not the goal of an, of an ethical outcome, it impacts very badly on the environment, on society and on the next generation, which you've already identified as, as such a huge challenge to get through our message to the next generation. No, no, thank you very much for that, um, um, Rabbi. I think we're definitely on the right footing in terms of uh, comprehending the, our attitude. I could not agree with you more. I operate with where there being the attitude and towards honesty, integrity, elevating those particular traits, if you like, and more than our own personal grandeur. Human beings, we've got a propensity to want to be elevated, but from a leadership point of view, those issues have to be have to be subservient. But as we proceed, Rabbi, take us through how are you invited at the summit, what your role will be. I'm actually not a hundred percent sure why I was invited, but Brenda <laughs> Carley, who's uh, heads up and is very involved with the conscious companies and the summit that is taking place, somehow came to me through my role at Africa Tikkun. I'm one of the board members at the Jewish Outreach Organization, which um, is focused on assisting those who are in greater need and committed to making the general broader South Africa um, a better place, a kinder place. I'm also involved at the school with a number of projects which uh, have given me the opportunity to, to share in very meaningful ways. So, for example, one of the projects we run at the Torah Academy in our grade 11 year, so it's the year before matric, is a project called Cycle Live. It was born in 1998. That's a long time ago, just after the new South Africa, a few years later, and it evolved. And, and what it is, is that the youngsters from a Jewish religious school, the Torah Academy, of which I'm the dean, and students from Soweto and Orange Farm, and more recently, a group of students who are sponsored from Israel, cycle over five days from Johannesburg to Durban, and it's not about the bike and it's not about the cycling. They do it in relay, they keep changing. So we always have fresh legs on the bicycle. It's much more about the experience of learning from each other, sharing each other's cultures and learning about what it means to give. And to me, that became such an important ingredient in sharing values. We can preach in the synagogues and we can pontificate in our classrooms but unless we show and we experience experiential learning, we actually engage in a real life-changing um, way, um, the values that we're trying to teach are often lost. And when we do it meaningfully, a week in the time of these students, which is just one week in a grade 11 year, has turned into something that they refer to, both the students from Soweto and the students from the Torah Academy, as one of the highlights of their educational um, experience at school. Well, wow, that's quite amazing, uh, particularly when you are referring to the ability for group of individuals coming from different racial backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, you know, being part of something, something that is life changing, as simple yeah. as such as, you know, cycling for life, as, as, as I understand it, it's quite grounded and is able, able to, or I suppose these individuals, these youth 
have been given an, an opportunity to exchange their views, which is fundamentally different from armchair critics or armchair philosophers. Most of us, or most people, I would imagine, have the propensity just to give guidance uh, through radio or through social media without necessarily being part of that particular approach is its practical experiential learning, which has yeah. far more gravitas than just talking and, you know, giving lecture. And there's so many examples that I can give from school where um, technical data, information, as important as it is, doesn't come close to experiencing and living the events. So many of our experiences at school, which took us on um, hikes, on walks, on, on four-day hikes in the Drakensberg or, or in the old Eastern Transvaal many years ago, um, the, the, the experiences of students in, in the field out there is teaching them leadership, values, um, being able to read the world, share the moment, and it transcends. It transcends the formal education that is so important and that we put so much importance on because it teaches us about life. And very often that's what remains. What remains after a whole educational system is how did it touch me and shape my priorities, my values, my thoughts about life. And, and these are underlying foundational um, strengths to our um, ethical view of the world. What did we experience? What, what touched our soul deeply? Relationships, connections, connecting to the people we want to impact on. Uh, you can lead by um, standing in the front of a classroom and in frontal teaching, communicate and give over the information. And if you're a good teacher, you can give over a lot of information in half an hour. And hopefully it's not only what you're teaching, but what the students are understanding. But then there's a whole different level in touching soul, touching the essence of life, really connecting with somebody. And this applies to every area of leadership. Parents in our homes, as leadership of a group at work, we can look at people around us and see how can I control and how can I uh, decide their future by uh, making the decisions that I make. Or how can I touch people deeply in a way that we work together towards common vision that is valued? Absolutely, absolutely, Robert. Uh, one of the issues that, that I've picked up, which cuts across few items that you have shared with us, is connection. It's about relationship. Let's look at these issues in the context of conscious leadership. In your assessment, what is missing from our public officials, our private, our top CEOs, main organizations, which seems to be disconnected, which don't really, at least in practice, share the same values from what appears on their boards, on their communications, and so on and so forth. Because there seems to be a greater discrepancy or disconnect between what has been pronounced from a policy position of government that we all know in some of the private sector organizations. What accounts for that lack of consciousness or at least the presence of consciousness, particularly as it relates to the delivery of services. I think when we begin first by what are our, our values, like what, what, do we, what do we stand for? And that could mean that our value system is about self-promotion, about opportunity for self. It could be very egocentric. 
that as a foundation to a person in a position of leadership can completely hijack the course of the leadership position that the person is, is holding. In our context in South Africa, we had a leader whom we were so proud of in the whole world. When people used to say to me, you know, South Africa is a third world country compared to all the first world countries overseas and look what they're giving the world. And I used to point to the inspiration that this country and the entire world took from Nelson Mandela, from Madiba, who emerged from so much pain and suffering and was able to lead by having the huge spirit, having the, the capacity to affect people around him with kindness and gentleness, rather than with hate and with, with revenge and vengeance. So he taught by example and he led. And, and the first ingredient was that he was there for his people. It wasn't about self-promotion. And the context that I uh, say we keep constantly drawing on the Bible, um, Moses, when, when he became our quintessential leader, and we refer to him in our Jewish context as Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, not historical, not biblical, our teacher, till today, he teaches us the lessons of, of uh, leadership. And all the way through his journeys, it was never about himself. He put himself second to his people. When God was ready to replace the, the Jewish people at the time for all of their mistakes by building a new people from Moses, he refused the offer. He said, this is not about me. This is about my people. From the very start, was not looking for self-promotion. He, he didn't stand at the burning bush and say, God, look, I'm the greatest gift to society and I have all the talents and all the abilities. Choose me. I'm, I'm the greatest. On the contrary, he turned to God and he said, why me? I, I'm, I'm certainly not worthy. I'm a shepherd. And a shepherd is somebody who cares for the flock and, and who's involved with the simple elements of life. So the first thing when it comes to where did we go wrong is when we have, unfortunately, leaders who've forgotten that the responsibility of leadership is to care for those whom they are leading rather than being concerned about the cookie jar and how much one can take for oneself. And, and it's interesting how over the course of years we did move. We moved away from leadership in its quintessential form, which the whole world appreciated, looked at, looked up to, and then becoming pariahs. What was it that distracted us? How did we get here? So the, the first ingredient, I think, is having a focus of caring for the people one leads rather than for self-promotion. But what happened in between then and now was that um, a generation grew up. They, they, they were born post-apartheid, post all of the terrible ills of the past, in a world that uh, offered different opportunities. And when we began cruising along and not having to fight, and I talk about the emotional fight, the passion for, for what one wants to make of this country, then that was to a degree lost because we were just cruising along. We were now able to, to simply um, glide along in a world that was unfolding rather than fighting against injustice and fighting against all the problems of the past. When we lost that focus, that dream that we had for ourselves as a people and got caught up in our personal preferences and desires, that's when leadership got, went completely awry. I couldn't agree with you more, Rabbi, in terms of your personal observation. First and foremost, you are saying to us, the reason why uh, we fell off the radar is that we have allowed egocentric individuals, we have allowed egocentric leadership to have their role being elevated beyond that of ordinary folks. We have literally forgotten 
why most people are there. Perhaps maybe here's another deeper question, Rabbi. We have institutions such as universities where there's an attempt, in my view, to resuscitate, to recalibrate moral fiber of our leaders through courses such as uh, courses leadership, ethics. And yet, when you look at tunnels such as the Hewlett's of this world, Accenture of this world, and some of these leaders, by the way, they have really been to top business schools and they've attended some courses such as these. Why is this, and is it just a compliance issue? What seems to be missing in the, the teaching of conscious leadership or ethics in some of the business schools, by the way, of which when you look at the some of the companies that we found wanting have had instances where they have attended these brilliant business schools across the world. And yet the outcome say very least about ethical conduct. And it's all about egocentric, how much money you have made, what's the bottom line. You look at issues as insider trader. All those issues seems to me that we have doesn't really matter whether we attend these things, we still choose to look the other way. I think that uh, we cannot have a hope of succeeding in this very important role of bringing this world and our country and our society, environment, our families to a better place by superimposing onto a reality, which is the underlying um, definition of who we are, a course and a detail and a ethic uh, summit and hope that that's going to impact. There needs to be something that shifts in our whole underlying thinking. Maybe I'm going a little bit off topic, but all of these things play a role in how we view the world. The fact that teachers and nurses, people who are dedicated to getting up every single morning to make a difference in somebody else's life, are viewed in our social structures as being less than. We do, whether we say it or we, we enunciate it verbally, but, but certainly by every other uh, uh, communication that we make, we, we are saying that people teach because they don't have the ability to make money. They are a second class. They are earning so much less because we don't value it enough. All of these things shape the attitudes of our, of our children and, and, and of the next generation. When we come to them later on and say, we have to have an ethics course and remind ourselves that ethics is also important. It is superimposing a detail on something that is fundamentally embraced as the most important area of our life. And that is money, economic standing, power, authority, all of those things that are the real world. And then we try and also have a scrap, a detail that we want to include in it. And we've got to be ready to change thinking in a much, much broader way. As a religious person and as a rabbi, I think the world has relegated the value systems of believing in a higher power, of having the humility to be grateful every single day to a higher power for everything that we have. All of these things have been kind of weeded out of uh, the modern society as being less than relevant. And then we hope to achieve whatever needs to be achieved by a particular course on a particular day and an exposure to something which needs much, much more. We have to reach deeper into ourselves as a society to recognize how we are communicating to the next generation what is important. Who are the idols? Who are the people we look up to? Who are the people that are important to us? It's the people that make the movies and make the money, and they're not necessarily the people that we want our children to be like, but they become the absolute example of success in this world. That's a problem.
I couldn't agree with you more, Rabbi. I think we are due for our next break. Let's quickly do that. We'll come back in just a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. Uh, you have really missed quite a bit, but I tell you what, I'm thoroughly enjoying a conversation I'm having with the one and only Rabbi uh, David Hudson, who is a spiritual leader at uh, Great Park Shoe and the Dean of Torah Academy. We are talking about a very complex issue. Rabbi has been invited to share his insight at the Conscious Leadership Summit that is going to be held on the 18th of May at Melrose Arch. So he's given us a snippet of his uh, contribution to that particular summit. Before we went to the break, he was reflecting very deeply and I was quite fascinated to hear the fundamental issue around the need to shift the thinking I don't know how we're going to do that, but to shift the thinking, particularly around very important people. He made reference of the teachers. He made reference of the nurses. He made reference of pretty much most of the public servants. These are people who the society has perceived them as unachievers because they don't dream big. And yet, all who we are today because of the teachers. Teachers have taught all the profession under the sun. And yet, society does not recognize or appreciate that. And yet, we've got be guys who have just mushroomed yesterday with lots of money, and society tends to elevate those because they've got money. And nobody wants to know how they got the money. Nobody wants to know or care to know to discourage opulence, which is unwarranted. We tend to look away and praise these individuals, which does cause into question the thinking that needs to be shifted in a society to be appreciating people who are really making a real difference. Making a real difference is not about your social standing. It's not about the money you have. It's about the difference you're making in someone's difference that is long and affectionate. As long as you impart kindness, as Rabbi has pointed out, you're more likely to proceed in life. I just want to quickly sum up my thought process in terms of very encouraging words that were ushered by Rabbi. As you proceed, Rabbi, I did like the idea of us not being superimposed on a very complex matter, which means we need to go deeper. What are the tools and mechanisms that can power me, you, anybody who's listening to the show, and say, but if I were to activate this or that, the chances are it will have a snowballing effect to a point where my fellow leaders in corporate, my fellow leaders in business, my fellow leaders in NGOs, my fellow leaders and colleagues in all manner of life can do the same by activating this particular idea so that we are able to, in our own little world, create a better society. We need to be leaders in our own life to realize that we can sit back and say, if we can change the world, then we're not going to save this particular starfish. We're not going to begin because we can't end. We've got to start the process. And uh, we can, in our own families, in our own environments, as parents, share values that are important. And then I think it's important to link as best as we can. For example, if we would have more of religious leaders coming together in common areas of being able to assist and to help. It happens, and normally it happens when there are disasters, when there's no water and there's a flood relief, and so then everyone's finding methods of of partnering to respond, which is beautiful. Those are moments of magic that actually the light comes on when those moments happen. But if there could be more collaboration between schools, between Um, religious groups who might disagree on theology and fundamentals of belief, 
And there's no point in trying to bridge clear differences in ideology. But the common factor, which all of our religions and all of our structures would want, is kindness and sharing and giving. If there'd be more opportunity to start a wave of kindness by, by, by joining together wherever we can on every opportunity, I think that we often are so indignant that powerful leadership is not doing the right thing, and that's where we spend our lives complaining or pointing at uh, failures, identifying where we're going wrong. It would be much more worthwhile to think of what can I do in my life that can impact on another human being, and then how do I broaden that circle? How can I start a ripple effect by reaching out? In, in the case of the bicycle ride, it was to a school at that time on a different, almost like a different continent. For, for, for me to find a principal with whom I could create a lifetime friendship, which happened in 1998, um, but I was reaching to different continents. Soweto was a million miles away from, from the northern suburbs of Johannesburg. But in, in reaching out, the ripple effect has been amazing because even though it's a small group of people, they affected, they, we've come together after many years, uh, the alumni, sharing what impact it had on their tra trajectory of their lives, where they landed up going, that one week made a difference. So we got to begin somewhere and, and pointing fingers and identifying faults is, uh, makes us feel good, but doesn't take us anywhere. And, and Nimrod, maybe just on a personal front, who affected my life? Who gave me the passion and the desire to want to get involved with communal um, uh, leadership and, and, in, and, and being involved in this way. It was my father, my father who came from a different world. He was born in the Ukraine, ironically, and suffered the loss of his family to the Bolsheviks at the time of the, the First uh, World War, lost the rest of his family in Latvia to the Nazis in Germany, had one remaining person alive in his life and moved to South Africa and lost her a few months later and raised, got married again and raised our family. He was positive. He was happy. He was focused. He was committed to making a difference. And as a result of his um, example that he gave us, every one of his children went into education. Grandchildren are involved in education. Somehow communal responsibility became the rallying cry of all of us as a family. He gave us the ingredients, and we can be that person who gives it to our children and to our grandchildren. My mentor, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who is uh, a leader in, in New York and, and, and affected a revolution in making communal responsibility reach out to every single person across the world, not just in, in the immediate environment. He taught, by example, that when we wake up in the morning, there could be no greater purpose than wanting to impact positively on somebody else's life. And that kind of influence on the person around us, on our children, on our friends, on the conversations that we're holding, change, they affect change. We should not be paralyzed by wanting to change the things that are beyond our reach. That's mind-boggling, Rabbi. That is just so fascinating. Just to hear your personal story, which I'm sure uh, most people who are listening to the show could certainly relate to. And what I'm picking up is the idea of a role model. Your father was a role model and he was genuine. He worked very hard. Gets to the point for me, whether or not we're not celebrating role models sufficiently, we're not communicating good stories sufficiently. We have been bombarded with all manner of information and misinformation about what is good 
perhaps maybe if we were to take a step back, I'm referring to social media, how we conduct ourselves in social media, how the mainstream media conduct itself. We need more and more positive stories being given a center stage, positive stories about nurses, positive stories about graduates, positive stories about CEOs who are literally conscious about their environment, who bring in all the stakeholders on the table uh, to share on the upside and the downside. So we need to have more and more of those stories. So I think, based on what we see and what we hear, good stories aren't celebrated enough purely because we don't uplift them. We're not communicating those stories sufficiently enough so that we're able to erode or undermine this narrative that is taking place, wherein we are celebrating mediocrity, we are celebrating fakes, we are celebrating individuals who have absolutely no substance other than egos, which in some instances propelled by questionable means. What's your take on that in terms of communication and how media houses and us as individuals through social media can begin to communicate good stories? I think we, we, we love bad stories. We love communicating the bad stories. Uh, bad news gets around very, very fast. I think that we have to be able to celebrate exactly as you said, the people who have made a positive difference and our conventional understanding of greatness. There are sportsmen and women who have achieved phenomenal goals and, and, and aspire and are great teachers of what people can do when they train and focus and are passionate about what they want to, to, to achieve. Unfortunately, many of them are not, and they, their language and their attitude and their defiance and, and their arrogance is a very negative teaching to our children. I think we do have to revert to reminding ourselves of our dreams. You know, Nimrod, one of my favorite books is, is a book, The Little Prince, which uh, was written by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And a little book, but it has so many beautiful life messages. In the book, he has such a beautiful quote about that if you want the people to, to be able to get to the next island. We shouldn't be telling people how to collect wood and how to design which task each person has to do as much as we should be teaching them what it is to be optimistic and to dream about the open sea. That was like his quote, more or less. Teach people to dream about the open sea rather than teach them how to collect wood. We're teaching technicalities and details and we're not presenting a dream and a hope. Great leaders like Mandela, had a dream and he shared that dream. He was able to get into society a hope and a belief that things could be completely different. That's what we need to, to, to get more of those leaders. We need to be more of those leaders in our own worlds. Absolutely fascinating. I would definitely want to get a copy of that book just to go through it because as you are I reflect on it, I could only imagine the power of the words in reverting to dreams and teaching people not to become just technocrats, but there's a lot out there in life. Coming back to the summit, what would you say are two or three biggest things that you want to part every individual that you part with that would um, you know, give you the sense of, well, I've done my bit here? Without uh, giving away my, my, my whole uh, speech, just like a few items, I'm going to be using Moses as my... Um, perfect um, quintessential leader um, and his life and, and deriving from his life corner post moments which were uh, indicative of his greatness. The first being that he lived in a palace and that uh, he went out to see the, the pain of his brothers. In fact, the wording is that he grew up uh, by Yigdal, he became, uh, he grew 
and he went out to see the pain of his brothers. And, and the commentaries explained that previously had said that he had become an adult. Why did it say he grew up by Yigdal and then he went out to see the pain of his brothers? And that it's definitive. What is the ability to achieve greatness? It is when we leave the palace, the, the safe, secure environment where we are able to cruise in life, and we leave that safe environment to see the pain and the suffering of others. That is a definitive first step in the life of Moses that uh, set his course um, as a leader. And our ability to leave ourselves the safety of our own um, happy space, sweet spot, and to recognize that this world is about reaching out to, to meet the needs of others. That's a corner post point, like to what degree are our lives self-absorbed and are we ready to, to reach out? Um, another corner post of Moses was when, as I mentioned before, God says, we can do away with this people. This people is too much trouble. Let's start again. And Moses puts himself second. He says, wipe me out of your Torah, your beautiful book, God. I'm ready to have my name removed because it's not about me. It's about my people. If you don't forgive my people, I have no place to be. There's nothing to build. It's all about my people. So being committed, putting oneself second is a corner post. Of, 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 of real leadership. Right at the end of Moses' lives, he, he, uh, he doesn't achieve his dream in his personal capacity. He wants to reach the promised land, and he doesn't. And he hands over to the next leader. In the last book of the Torah, the book of Deuteronomy, he talks to a different generation, and the language is different, and the approach is different. There are so many differences because he's talking to the next generation, not the ones who came out of slavery, but the ones who would be entering into the promised land. And there are so many differences in the way he approaches and talks to that next generation. We've got to find the language to talk to the people who are not aware of all the histories, didn't experience the histories. They are now looking for the sunrise and looking for the horizon and looking for the opportunities of the future. So those and so many others, corner posts of his life, can be such a beautiful blueprint for us to demand of great leadership, the politicians and leaders of our country, but more practically to demand of ourselves in the way we interact with our friends, in the, in the way we interact as business leaders, as the way we interact as parents of our children, because in the classroom, we can make a difference. On that different note, unfortunately, we're going to just take another break uh, as we're about to enter the last lap of this wonderful conversation I'm having um, with uh, Rabbi David Hassan. Um, I'm, I'm quite um, fascinated by his thought processes, which I think is elevating in so many ways. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. Welcome back. Uh, this is our last day of a very interesting conversation we're having. This is uh, Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. And thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm joined by Rabbi uh, David Hazan, who's a spiritual leader at Great Park Shul and the Dean of Torah Academy. We are mulling over the Conscious Leadership Summit that is to be held on the 18th of May. Uh, uh, Rabbi here has been invited and uh, to, to make inputs into that particular summit. So far, he's been sharing with us some snippets on where we have gone wrong as a society, what things that we need to think about, what are the values uh, that we need to revert back to uh, for us to have a, I suppose, future that we want. Um, he's making very interesting 
reflection in terms of his own potential leader. I mean, in his own right, uh, Moses reflect a leader that that he would want to espouse to be and encourage people to reflect on. Because we all know that Moses, and he's as important, put it out that lived uh, in a palace, but he left that particular environment. He left luxury, which most people wouldn't dare think even to even think about it around acting on it. The other important issue is about understanding as a leader that you are there to serve servant leadership. It's not all about you. The more you pull other people out of misery, the more you pull other people out of financial constraints, the more you empower people, you are making a huge difference. So you know that God puts you there or through whatever means you are there to serve people, not other, not not anyone else. And the last point which he made, which I think is quite remarkable in so many ways, is finding the right channel, right competencies, the right language that needs to be used or that we can use in communicating with the new generation. Our generation have a different school, uh, come from a different school of thought. They were taught differently. The language used was completely different, but we can't use the same language in communicating behavioral patterns in denouncing value system that we ordinarily need to frown upon in the same way that our parents did. So we have to find something that speaks to the the next generation to try and elevate what is important around poverty, inequality, and and progress. So those are some of the snippets that I've just picked up from Rabbi here. I hope I'm not doing injustice, Rabbi, in terms of... No, thank you very much, Rabbi. Um, I think we're pretty much on the last bit of our conversation here. And, and and we wish you nothing but the best in the conversation. And I will certainly be there um, at the summit. Hope to see you um, and listen more attentively to yourself and other fellow panelists in sharing wonderful ideas. Hopefully we will take those ideas into something. All those powerful individuals that sit in that particular platform will leave that platform with something in mind, in hand that they could share with the rest of their network. If we share all this with the rest of our network, it will have a ripple effect. If we are able to do that, surely we, we are able to contribute um, towards the society that going to be, that society that frowns upon opulence, society that promotes compassion, generosity, and understanding. Absolutely, Nirat. Thank you. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it here for we've run out of time. It has been absolutely beautiful um, having you board Rabbi David Hudson. Uh, like I said, I hope to see you very soon in that particular conversation. God bless you, Nimrod. Thank you. God bless you too, uh, Rabbi. As we conclude this remarkable conversation with Rabbi uh, David Hudson, obviously we need to continue the journey of being self-critical and what we see and what we see and hear, we need to go beyond just talking. We need to join any social movement which seeks to accentuate, in my view, ethical culture. And I've already indicated that we might have seemed to have lost the war, but the war on corruption, the battle, by the way, but the war on corruption, malfeasance, and any other uh, distasteful things that we see, rages on. However, through meritocratic system, which is underpinned by conscious leadership, we can certainly reverse the frontiers of poverty and inequality. South Africa will be once again be a model of a country that we, that the world can aspire to to be like. All depends on you and I having to do our bit on a daily basis. Let's do this again next week. It has been absolutely pleasure. Beyond Governance was brought to you by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making.